I did two... No, sorry. I have done three BBC interviews since the last time we spoke. Three? Three. Wow. All on crypto? And w- All on crypto. And one of them was televised. One <laughs> was televised? You did a televised crypto? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I missed it all. I, I, t- I tweeted it from my professional Colin oh, account. I miss everything. I haven't been on Twitter so much. I miss everything. The Nine. I was on The Nine. The BBC Scotland, The Nine. The Nine. Which, do you know what was funny, actually? It was uh, one of the hosts of the programme is an old Radio Cali colleague. All right. From, from genuinely 10 years ago. Yeah. And now he's, he's hosting The Nine. The Nine. And uh, he messaged me on the day to be like, I'm talking to you about cryptocurrency tonight. I thought, wow, what a what a what a moment, what a day! Look where we are now. Oh yeah, I'm seeing it. You got your little green screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they just did the interview from my. Key you out. No, they didn't. They could have done. They could have put any sort of hilarious background behind me, but they didn't. They could have done that. They could have just like keyed you out so you're floating above the name, Twitch style. <laughs> well, there's always next time. But to me, it was a case of. I could have been in the studio. I had, I think they were considering taking me into the studio, but also I would have felt like I was shortchanging them because if you were taking me in the studio for what was a three and a half minute segment where I talk about right. cryptocurrency, you know, get someone else in there, talk about something more interesting. But I did, <laughs> I did what I could to make it sexy, and it was sexy. Oh, I'm sure you did great. I'll, uh, I'll catch up on the. Uh... On the moments after the after the pod. Yeah, so I very I feel like I very much I am now settled in my niche. That niche has been truly carved out, and <laughs> it is occupied great, yeah. by me. Man, <laughs> you gotta you gotta keep ahead of the news now. You've got to be the guy. Yeah. So so I was uh, so the second one I did was on Radio Four. Right. But it was at it was at one a.m. So it doesn't really count. <laughs> but. It was still BBC Radio Four, like that's cool. Yes, and the uh, the the one before that was was BBC Radio Scotland, which was interesting in that I think it was teed up for. I was expecting it to be something else, and it wasn't. Oh. So I was told, "Hey, it's going to be about uh, how you put rules in place for cryptocurrency, and, and do you support regulation?" And honestly, I do in principle, but it's impossible to do. So no, yeah, and you can't. <laughs> and uh, when they brought me into the program, they said, "Okay, we're going to come to you in just a second, but first, here's Jennifer. She lost all of her money to a cryptocurrency scam." Ah. And with us is Colin Stone, who doesn't support regulation. Ah. Colin, what do you have to say for yourself? Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So that was less fun. But um, I was told at the end I, I carried the segment, all right. so I credit Seesaw Parade for for getting me into that frame of mind of of practicing carrying segments, which really should have ended Wait. a long time ago. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, what's what's been happening? I do have a couple more stories I want to talk about, uh, personal stories before we actually start proper. But how are you? What's happening? Um, I don't think I've got anything to report, really. Oh, you must have um, something. Come the, on. The past the past three while I've just kind of floated in and out of. Getting a wee bit of work done, not quite enough again to pay my taxes. So I'm just getting nervous. <laughs> nice. I'm getting nervous about earning money, um, and I'll just have to try hard for the next few weeks to to land something huge, I guess. Um, but overall, I'm just uh, enjoying this the same the same routine as usual. I'm, I'm okay. spending a lot of time kind of developing new uh, uh, communication circles and new friendship groups on the old, on the internet. And I advocate for this because it is such a good way to get familiar with people of very different backgrounds to yours. 
as we've as we've discussed in the show before you can sometimes if you've only made friends in your small circles in real life you can look around the room and everybody's just a mirror of you with very little differences whereas what i've been really loving to do over the past while is just try to learn about all sorts of different backgrounds and learn from people of all sorts of different backgrounds and have like proper discussions with them about all, all, about anything wow whether it be tv shows or really serious stuff one thing that's happened recently, sorry, this is going to take a very serious turn, is that uh, gay men can now donate blood. Oh, yeah. Which I have never been uh, never been allowed to do because of the the rules were so stringent. It was something, it was something intense. Like even if you have a settled partner, if you have gay sex, you cannot donate blood. Yeah. I, I want to say like at all, or maybe you have to go a, a year. Or I think they reduced it from a year to three months, and now they've reduced it to you're like I want to say like two weeks, yeah. if 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 anything. So that's great. That that is honestly great. There, no, no, there's some progress there. Um, taking away this weird, yeah, distrust in every single person under a label, and it's not. It was. I think it was gay men, even bi men, are, are not allowed to give blood. Well, let's let's be clear. Um, it's because they just want. They don't want to pass on the gay blood. You know. Let's they don't <laughs> want to pass on that uh, the gay the gay disease just that in, is just carrying in case. blood. Clearly, I know. Although I did see, I can't remember who it was. Um, some some right winger. I think it was Seb Gorka, oh. who I read this week blamed the Teletubbies for making people trans mm-hmm. because apparently one of the Teletubbies has a handbag. So therefore, wow. blame them. Yes, their fault. That was fascinating. A really interesting take. It's this really weird thing about the right wingers confusing acceptance and blame, or like easing acceptance and blame. You you look at all of the people way back when, uh, before there was any sort of acceptance movement, who were just bravely being yeah yeah at the forefront of shit like showing like hey gay people exist or hey trans people exist and it's fine and normal and yeah maybe they were usually in specific fields specific careers but that's because they were being brave in that field and they allowed everybody else to then feel brave in turn and it doesn't mean that we blame the original few we thank them for making acceptance a thing. Yeah. There's no element of blame to it. They didn't, like, spread a disease. They, they, they've pushed the world forward. But the right-wingers just get this idea that uh, anything that, that, that causes an, a hint of progress is, is, is to be blamed for, like, spreading something. Just before we get into the real deep territory too soon, I do still have two light-hearted stories to share. The first one being my parents are currently staying with me, oh. which is the first time that's happened since I bought this place in August. Wow. There has been a very minor inconvenience of a, a global pandemic to deal with. So indeed, indeed. When they arrived on, on Tuesday, they are here to cycle to the Kelpies and back because my mum is now 60 and that was what they wanted to do, which is cool. It's a nice little milestone for your 60th. Absolutely. So we went out to Las Iguanas right. for dinner okay. on Tuesday night, which is a lovely pan-Latin American restaurant in the city centre of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. One of my favourites. Use Seesaw Parade 20 at, at the, <laughs> the, the checkout. Yeah, just go up, to the, exclusive go up to deal. the bar and just say Seesaw Parade 20 and just see what happens. They'll take you to a special booth. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so whilst we were there, you know, I'm, I'm giving it big licks and, you know, I, I say, hey, mum, what, what, what are you having? And she says, you know what? I think I will have the Baha'ian coconut chicken. I thought, oh, great choice, right. great choice. I'm thinking of having the, the Jin Jim, which is a crayfish and chicken combo. Okay. I said, Feather, what are you having? Uh-huh. And he said, the beef burger. Yes. And I said, oh, right, right. The, the Buenos Aires beef burger with the the bells and whistles oh that sounds amazing he said no no and he pointed to the to the very bottom of the it's menu just quite actually the beef burger a beef burger the aberdeen angus for th- for those among us who are not adventurous <laughs> for the for the restaurant you're like right there will be people who come to our place and decide flavor tasty things well, i don't want any of that give me a give me a plain cow on a roll, and uh, a roll, after yeah. after after we chastised him for several minutes for being plain word, <laughs> then uh, when the waitress actually arrived, he did go for the Buenos Aires burger, oh, the fancier one, the, for the fancy one, yeah, yeah, and we were very pleased right. about this. I was very pleased about this. You know what? I'm not too scared of most flavors. Um, but I am someone who sometimes does skip over the thing that I see and I kind of want because I don't know how to say it and I, I'm too shy to say it wrong and, and go through that mild like giggle of like <laughs> you just say it with confidence you can't speak this language you know anytime I go to an Italian I will just be as bold as I can and attempt to say whatever the fumbling jumble of consonants is and hope that I get the thing I asked for yeah, well, it's a fun game I didn't get that um, disease the confidence disease either my blood is too pure it doesn't have the confidence disease oh, free of uh, all diseases the other funny thing is that and we'll start the show in a second i promise well, i hope um the other funny thing is that obviously i've been with with my partner graham for for a couple of years now yes and i was pretty confident that despite the fact this was the parents first visit to the house this would not be the time that they met him. Right. Let's look at 2023 and see what happens by then. Okay. So the, the funny thing, though, is that everything in this flat, which is cool or stylish or decorative or creative in any way, is his handiwork. Like, his fingerprints are all over this place. So you walk in and there's, like, we're starting our own shrubbery. I've got, like, six different plants in the house. There's Aww. monsteras and satin pothos and rattlesnake plants, all sorts wow, of stuff. You know their names. Absolutely. I'm you're, you're, a plant daddy. You're a proper adult now. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, the bedroom's all sorts of, like, funky design stuff going on and all these <laughs> cool additions that people stop and say, oh, that's, that's really smart. Where did you get that? Yeah. And I have to say, oh, oh, Gra- Graham got it. <laughs> and, and it just was almost to the extent that it felt like they met him vicariously because he is, <laughs> he's just like here. You know, his taste and, it, to, and his style to the core without even meeting him. Well, exactly, yeah. So that has been fun. <laughs> and we will eventually... It's a step. We will have, it is, it is a step, yeah. And we will eventually get to a meeting uh-huh. when when they are ready. Uh-huh. And that is fine. That it, we can be patient. Oh, we, we can, yeah. And the thing is, like, we've we've met... Like uh, siblings and friends already, and uh, and that's been really great. And they're you know starting to know each other, so it's not that kind of awkward. Oh hi, hi, who are you? Tell me your life story. Right. What's happening? Oh look, oh okay, let's go to an aquarium. You know, it's it, it's more of a just a casual. <laughs> we know each other now, which is which is a really nice place to be at, where where it's just accepted that this is now a thing. I like the idea that whenever you're happen to be meeting people, and wherever you happen to be meeting people. 
Uh, there's just an aquarium handy for the awkward times <laughs> that you don't quite have that rep- repertoire yet. Uh, I mean, it, and you can just be like, "Oh, the fish." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you can apply that to any situation. You'll be in in Inver Garden, and you say, "You know what? Let's go to an aquarium. Where's the nearest one?" <laughs> Queens Ferry. How many aquariums are there? <laughs> I don't think there's that many. I think there's maybe two in Scotland. <laughs> There's one in Loch Lomond. Oh yeah, there is one in Loch Lomond. Yeah, that's that's the second one. Which which consists of like a large bowl it's not a, and uh, a couple of glass windows. It's not a beefy aquarium. Yeah. The the thing about uh, sorry the reference to the aquarium was we went to Deep Sea World uh, with a couple of my brothers mm-hmm. uh, a few weekends ago. Right. And it was so much smaller than I remember. I think it's because when I went as a kid, you just thought everything was enormous. Yeah. We went round it in maybe twenty five minutes. And I thought, how much was this ticket? It's pretty small. I, re- I haven't been there since I was a kid, but reflecting upon it now, I can feel that I can feel the size and it's not that big. You do you can if you take your time, it'll, you, you can you can uh, get through it even in a hurry, um, even if you're taking your time. Yeah, feel the size and it's not that big. I've heard that before. Okay, Seesaw Parade episode 255. Welcome. Thank you for sticking with this show, if indeed you still have. My name is Colin, and he is James. Yeah, I'm a bit, just a, a bit shook. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll recover. Uh, okay, thank you for listening. This is Scotland's longest-running season one of any Scottish podcast which talks about news, politics, and sometimes sport, depending on if there's a big football competition happening, in existence. And also, we are less popular than fascism. Yep. Your new favourite podcast, the taglines continue to grow, and you can get in touch with, with some more tagline suggestions, if you so wish, oh. at Seesaw Parade on Twitter. You can also send us your reviews of things you have finished, of things you have watched, TV shows, movies, books, a nice meal you had. Perhaps you went to Las Iguanas as well. Yep. You can send us that review. We will get to that later on in the show. Thank you very much uh, to Dokio Podcast who are recommending us as the best Scottish podcast that they know, which was uh, well, they clearly just don't know a lot of Scottish podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for that. <laughs> How many have you listened to at that point? Yeah. At uh, one. And also to, also to Izzy, who gave us another uh, one sentence review of Loki, oh, yeah. episode three, which I am just going to start with. Here it is. Okay. Fell asleep midway through and woke up to see that I'd not missed much except for probably more fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a as as succinct and as accurate a summary as I could I could give. I've I've also started Loki by the okay. way, so I know where we are. Yeah, I've, uh, I'll jump in there and I will say that the most recent episode. Episode was so bad. I hated it. It was very bad. I've not. I'll be honest. I'm not on board with the show yet. It just the most recent episode just reminded me of like budget Doctor Who. Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. That is entirely how I would describe it. Timey wimey, but not wibbly, even good. Wobbly. Not even good wibbly wobbly. Timey wimey. Like the bad no. episodes where they clearly have run out of money and have tried to CGI excitement. <laughs> Yeah, the kind of bad where even I get the slogan wrong. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was 100% Doctor Who and like a squabbling compatriot who there's some awkward sexual tension going on. Yeah. That that exactly is it in a nutshell. So we will get to a full Loki review once the season has ended. But yes, it does have several problems. Talking of problems, let's start with Matt Hancock. And sorry, maybe Matt Hancock is more appropriate this week.
James, this is the story of the week. Is it the story of the year? That's my question. In some, in some, it depends on what category of story you mean. So this is the news that Matt Hancock is now the former health secretary. Yeah. He resigned after footage was broadcast by the, the Sun newspaper of him and an aide kissing outside his office breaking social distancing rules Wait. and unveiling an affair. In his office? I think it was, it was outside the door, wasn't it? I thought it was just on the inside of the door in his office that he uses for <laughs> t- chatting to the BBC. It was next to a door? Yeah, there was a door in the vicinity of him and even and it was actually probably there was he, the door was even closer to him than the aide because he was so leaned up against it trying to keep it closed. Let, let's start with the really awkward stuff. Did you watch the video? It was so robotic and awkward I could feel too much of it it was too visceral and I don't want to feel it but I could it was just palpable yeah yeah so this was uh yeah footage of Mr. Matt Hancock and uh, Gina Coladangelo outside or inside or next to a door (laughs) uh which was actually from the 5th of May yeah so they were very much breaking social distancing guidelines so on Friday the Prime Minister Boris Johnson accepted Mr. Hatt and his uh, his apology for ignoring the social distancing guidelines, and he declared that the matter was now closed. Yes, the apology is accepted, the matter is closed, a classic Boris combination of lines. <laughs> Did, didn't expect any more strength than that, and we were not disappointed. Indeed, but then there was apparently pressure from other Conservative MPs who disagreed. About 80 of them, apparently. And, uh, yeah, put pressure on the government to chuck him. And they still didn't until Mr. Mancock resigned yep. on Saturday evening. He's now been replaced by Sajid Javid. So, James, let's start with the the matter at hand itself. Hey! Which was, indeed, Mr. Hancock and uh, his aide. Uh, and the, rev- the revelation of an affair, which has been plastered all over the oh, Sun newspaper. More. And Oh, and more. Uh, for the last uh, few days, and this is continuing to rumble on. There were questions. Sorry, Sir Keir Starmer used all his six questions today at PMQs to ask about Mister Mister Hat. So worth. Well, yeah, I guess so. But Boris didn't say anything. He said it wasn't in the public interest. But instead, of course, it wasn't. Mister Keir, uh, sorry, Sir Keir, Sir Starmer. Yes, indeed. Uh, brought up the fact that uh, various people have since died, including, and the tragic case he brought up was a young boy who was uh, dying of cancer and actually, Ugh. I believe, died on the same day that Matt and his uh, aide were uh, getting cosy. And so he was bringing into this uh, this whole affair into sharp repute by saying, how on earth could you stand by your health secretary when he's doing this and telling the media and telling all of us another thing? So give me your take on all of it. Whoa, on all of it? On all of it. All of it. Well, the biggest and most important element for it that stands right now after resignation um, would be the fact that Boris was too weak to fire the guy. Um, I think the firing should have been immediate, would have been immediate under anybody else, but it just shows us the kind of person that Boris is, uh, the kind of expectations he has of the people who are working under, under him. And... It, it raises a lot of questions about his own integrity, why he wants to be going light on these things, and of the general security of everybody at the upper echelons. Because a big thing about an affair, especially one that has caught 
um, on camera is that it is a huge security risk because it can be used as blackmail. Yep. If it goes, if it lands in the wrong hands, um, <laughs> and security is an issue with Boris, who's had his uh, phone removed from his person because he was using his private phone for too many things, and it's just the potential even after Hancock's out, that there's plenty other people who are equally lax with their decision-making, including Boris himself, right. who might be getting us into some serious trouble because they are just clumsy with what they do. Th- that's a big thing. Just a couple of points here. So Boris does have track record for this. We talked about this on the show a few months ago, which uh, we'll start with Pretty Patel when uh, she breached the ministerial codes uh, after the uh, reports of her bullying. And Boris said, nope. It, it's fine, she can stay. It's okay. And also he, he declined to sack Mr. Hancock previously, uh, I believe in, in April, after he was judged to have committed a minor breach of yeah, the minor. code for failing to declare that he had a stake yeah. in an NHS supplier. And the final point I'll give you is also Miss Coladangelo's appointment, who uh, turns out Mr. Hancock and Miss Coladangelo had been friends since their student radio days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give, give it a few years. Myself and uh, Connor Gillis, I mentioned at the start, <laughs> maybe this maybe this situation will repeat um, in 20 years. Huh. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't know about this, so it's fine. And uh, then the question is, when when uh, Miss Coladangelo was appointed as a non-executive director getting paid 15 grand a year for 15 days work... 15 grand? Like... Are you? I don't think you're allowed to do that. She's supposed to be an impartial voice, unbiased, advising. How can you do that if you're a close friend, for starters? How can you do that if you've got connections to people who have interests in uh, privatising the NHS or in making money from different yeah, things? Sorry, she also had a, a parliamentary security pass too. Yeah, and it's just it's it's the same cycle of questions of. How are they this incompetent with national security issues, which was followed up shortly by uh, yet more documents getting left on benches and stuff? Um, We've just got this constant security crisis with the conservatives and everybody who's working in the system below them. How are they this uh, consistent with their corruption and giving jobs to mates and giving uh, influence to people who can use that influence to further the... the, the, uh, affluence of their friends and this constant cycle of just unethical practice in in all fronts and then what we get one resignation and we're supposed to treat that like hey it's all sorted now javid's going to take over and he's going to be fine one of the first things he did was completely mess up answering a question uh in the comments. Well, I think I saw this, yeah. Yeah, where he's made it seem like we're not going through enough badness to need a little bit of support. <laughs> like, um, it's not going to be fine now that he's in. He's just going to be the same exact problem as all the Conservatives continue to prove to be until they're held to accounts, but all they're doing is trying to whittle down a number of things that can hold them to accounts. We're screwed. <laughs> That's a, an excellent summary. And also still, as you say, leaves the unanswered questions off. Well, principally, just because you've had one resignation does not change the fact that this and many other issues with Mr. Hancock had clearly been going on for a long, long time. Yeah, he should have been fired a long time ago. We know this because we saw Boris ad- 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 admitting that the guy was useless in a private conversation. If he's useless and he's in charge of the most important aspect of the situation replace him with somebody competent. Boris couldn't do that. I expect the only reason, aside from Boris having no integrity and wanting to 
um, make things easy for him to dodge as well. The, the major reason that he wanted to keep Hancock on was so that he could be the fall guy after it's all passed. So once it was all done, Boris could go like, yeah, things were bad. It was all Hancock's fault and now I'm firing him. So I guess I'm glad he can't do that anymore. He'll need a he'll need to try a little bit harder. Well, I, I guess the idea, and certainly this is how it's going to play out in my head, is when the inquiries into the handling of the pandemic start, Boris and Co will get out of dodge. In which case, they will be they'll be able to get away with whatever the outcome of the inquiry is. Oh yeah, and, and therefore escape any sort of yeah. accountability. For example, yeah, I expect they'll all try to like quit their roles, we'll have a snap election of some kind as soon as accountability starts to be on the horizon. So Matt Hancock will continue as an MP. Is this the end of his political career? And also, do you even care? Well, I don't care about him. If he disappears, I don't care. Um, He needs to go to jail. Um, but, but that's not going to happen. So what on earth does it matter if I care about him? Yep. But have, we, have we seen who's vo- who, who, who got voted in as the PM, right? People voted for Boris as prime minister, knowing that he's a sleaze and a liar, knowing that he can't be trusted, knowing that he's not prime ministerial, knowing all these things. And they voted for him anyway. So Hancock might as well be the next prime minister because the voters don't care about that stuff in this day and age. And, and it's okay that they don't, but they need, to care, they need to care about the good stuff instead. They just don't care about anything so long as... Uh, the conservatives are harming other people more than they're harming whoever their voters are. So yeah, Hancock might be an XPM, like because of the voter base just just don't care about the stuff that matters. Yeah, c- considering Boris has his own uh, marital or ethereal track record here as well, and look yeah. where he is. So yeah, y- you know what? Give it a few years, and we'll, we'll wait and see. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about COVID. A further three thousand two hundred eighty-five cases of COVID have been recorded in Scotland. Oof. This was uh, as of Wednesday, which is a new record for the number of positive tests. Uh, a total of yeah, we've peaked. 12.6% of those tested were positive, which is way above the 5% threshold of a decreasing virus. No deaths were recorded, though, and this is the the, the line that uh, most politicians are hanging on to. Uh, the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has said the steep rise in cases showed that people need to be extra careful. But the other news uh, coming out today and this is a Wednesday afternoon, is that nearly 2,000 COVID cases in Scotland over the last month have been linked to people watching the football. So, Public Health Scotland... I know, shocking. Public Health Scotland said two-thirds... Of the uh, of these two thousand cases they'd identified of uh, football related positive uh, cases were people who had gone to London for the Scotland game against England, uh, and this included four hundred fans inside Wembley oh. and a, a, a small number at the fan zone in Glasgow and Scotland's two home matches. So this is a a, a total. Sorry, I was going to say shock, but it's not. It's the most unsurprising news, and which we actually talked about. I'm sure most people predicted would happen. Yeah, James, this though does not appear to be altering or changing the timeline <laughs> of things uh, re- relaxing. What's your thoughts on all this? The numbers of infections are at an all-time high in Scotland. They're not at an all-time high in the UK, um, so there is failure. Somewhere in our government, I'm not surprised right, right. at all, because while we did a good at the start, the SNP slowly lost track of actually trying to do things and started just being a bit willy-nilly about it. And here we are, everybody's watching the football, everybody's got gatherings, um, and we have cases at an all-time high. Uh, yes, there are no deaths. Yes, hospitalization is not 
incredibly high, but I'm going to say the hospitalization rate, we're hitting like 50 cases a day going to hospital now. That's not good. Some of those people might die. And if they don't die, some of them might get be really bad long COVID. And that's really, that's really not good. So deaths isn't the be all end all. There are people in hospital. We need to not be having people in hospital with coronavirus. Um, so even if it's not the vulnerable people who are catching it now and who are um, getting hospitalized, we are looking at people up to age like 44 still kind of peaking at the 60 cases per day. We're kind of looking at yeah, yeah. Um, 20 to 24s, um, 15 to fifteen to 24 is rather really kicking off. And that's just not good for public health. So somebody's got to be accountable for this. Change has to happen. I don't think change is going to happen because they want to act like having the football happen was a good call and how all the decisions that they've made were a good call. Um, but much like people down south right. need to be held accountable for different things, including the coronavirus response, people within the SNP at this point need to be held accountable. Something needs to be done because the the really rapid increase in the trajectory of the number of cases is very obvious if you look at the graphs. It was kind of like trickling along, looking like it might plateau, and then the football starts, summer starts, and we are... The cases are just rising, and that's terrifying. Uh, here's my my thoughts on this. The, the first one being, I agree the number of cases, as the stats show, are about people who are under the age of 44. Largely, the younger age brackets and people who are yet to have their even first vaccine. Yeah. The second aspect of this, and this is my, my overall thought, is that the government, both north and south of the border, are now very much in the mindset of, oh well... They're kind of embracing it, yeah. It's it's a case of, if this was any other point in the trajectory of the pandemic, it would be full lockdown. Mm -hmm. We're at the highest rate of cases per day. And whilst nobody is dying, the main concern now is, as you say, is long COVID. And it's the effect that has on currently healthy people. So... I'm unsure at what point, I, I, I don't honestly know what to do at this point, what I would do, because I would imagine any further suggestion of a, lo- uh, a lockdown, even localised uh, lockdowns, would be met with a lot of non-compliance. A lot of people saying, nah, it's it's July, come on now. Yeah. So I honestly don't know what you do to, to combat that other than just vaccinate as many people as quickly as you can. Yeah. Let's, just going south of the border, Boris has been speaking this week and he said he is confident that England will hit their July 19th date. Data, not dates. Javid said the same thing. This is their their mindset, which is... We're going to learn to live with COVID. Indeed. Which is is the first time I've heard it said out loud. I know a lot of times it was discussed, it would be from uh, experts or even, you know, friends, people saying, you know, we, we've got to just learn to deal with yeah. this. This is the first time I remember the new flu. that the prime minister of the country has said, we've just got to learn to live with it. So that to me is a change in attitude of, okay, cases are at their highest yeah. level yet, but actually nobody's dying. So therefore it's fine. Yeah, therefore, therefore, it's fine. But the more people have it, the more likely we are to have a mutation and the more likely that we are to have a mutation that makes things worse and more deadly and all of these things. So it's really not very intelligent for one of the countries with the highest vaccination rate to just be the, the first to re-welcome infections and to give the virus this brilliant chance to mutate. Like we do have in Scotland at this point, I think it's like almost 70% of people have had at least one dose or 70% of yeah, yeah. 
uh, total population and 45-ish have had second doses. So that is high. And we're still seeing this much of an infection rate. We got to look at the rest of the world and really worry about mutations. There are silver linings and I'll come to them after your point. Right. So, so my question is then, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And to me, not giving tickets out for, for the football would have been a very easy win. It would have been very unpopular. Yep. But as we've seen from the stats with the relatively low number of, you know, even at the outdoor fan zone, yep. the vast majority of infections from the football-related stuff the is the travel down to the to the games and at the games themselves because yeah. there's a lot of people in close proximity. That being said, we're now past the stage of, of being able to do that. I believe they've hosted the last game at Hamden, which, by the way, is a horrible, horrible stadium. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. But <laughs> Indeed. What, what, what do you do now then? If you're Nicola Sturgeon, if you're, well, maybe not Boris, if you're Scotland, if you live in Scotland, what is the next thing to do? Because ultimately, I don't think anything will change until we maybe get to the autumn. No, the the only thing we can do is as individuals choose what the safest course of action is just for ourselves. So people who aren't vaccinated keep trying to stay as far away from crowds as possible. Even like walking down the street, wear your mask, (laughs) right? You walk past a lot of people in close proximity and case rates are high in, in urban areas. So it's it's at this point because we've been released from this like social working together thing which i think is a really stupid thing to do um i think it's really stupid to not be working together um but because we're now all individuals and everybody's got to learn to live with it it's about taking care of ourselves and not like being uh trusting of everybody else to have as smart of a life choices as us we might be smart enough to think like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a bit like I've got a cold. I'll stay at home to not be other people at risk. Let's just assume that nobody else is smart enough to do that. And everybody you see on the street is infected and you, do, and you want to avoid that. Um, if you have the vaccine, wear your masks anyway. If you have had the vaccines, keep washing your hands anyway. It, not only to combat the coronavirus, but to combat flu and all the other stuff. Just keep up the good practices that we've learned over the uh, course of the pandemic. And I guess collectively, we can look forward to the dozens and dozens and dozens of vaccines that are around the corner from all sorts of countries and all sorts of uh, universities. Um, All the trials that weren't quite as fast as these initial big names that we all are receiving, they're approaching completion. There's there's double figures uh, of vaccines in their stage three trials, double figures in their stage one and two trials. And that will always and will continue to help just the situation globally. It's not, we don't just have to rely on the few companies that have done it to provide all the vaccines. There are more around the corner and hopefully some of them get released to mass manufacturing, please. <laughs> so put pressure on governments to, to, to support even more vaccination because the more we have globally, the better it is for us all individually. Okay, let's move on to some other news, and there is a lot of it. Let's start with Britney Spears. Now, this has been rumbling on for several years. Indeed, yeah. But more recently has been uh, gathering momentum on social media. As fans of the singer have started online campaigns to see if she's okay, to see what's happening. And this all came to court last week in the States, with the singer apologising to fans for pretending like I've been okay Mm -hmm. while suffering under what she's described as an abusive conservatorship. So, 
The star, who is 39 now, told a US court last week she wants this uh, conservatorship, which uh, means her stepfather controls her personal life and finances to end after the last 13 years of this arrangement. She told the court that this arrangement requires her to use birth control and prevents her from getting married to her long-term boyfriend. And uh, on Instagram, she said she'd not spoken out before due to pride. Uh, in this this long post, which is well worth reading. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm bringing this to people's attention because I don't want people to think my life is perfect. It's definitely not at all. And if you've read anything about me in the news this week, you obviously really know now it's not. Indeed. So, James, this whole story is incredibly sad. And, uh, you know, the, the end is still some way off. So what's your view on, on this? Because reading it did make you, certainly made me... Uh, feel incredibly sorry for the 13 years that she's uh, been in this situation. Yeah, so the more, like over the years, of course, because this is a long story, the more we hear about the situation, the more like saddening and the more scummy it feels because she is just stuck in a trap. She's in a conservatorship, conservatorship, sorry, um, which basically... If she starts looking healthy in the eyes of the court, their view will be like, hey, it's working. She should stay in it. And if she's not looking healthy in the eyes of the court, they'll be like, wow, she needs help. She has to stay in it. So it's supposed to be this temporary kind of thing where somebody comes in and manages your life, almost every aspect of it, in a really invasive way that I think is abusive. Um, But that temporary nature of it isn't true because there's not really an easy way out. Um, and the stuff she's been suffering yep. because of that is awful. And um, the, the, the more you read about it, the, the more you realize that this is just somebody who has taken advantage of um, somebody that's put in their care. Yeah, because when this conservatorship started, Britney Spears was not in a good position right. mentally or a good place mentally. It It was seen at the time as the right thing to do so that she could have basically her own personal space and someone else would take care of everything else, the stuff that was uh, stress-inducing and uh, lo- essentially looking after her while she recovered. But then, as you say, it's someone then seeing that they have this power over someone very famous and uh, refusing to hold on to it, or rather refusing to let go of it and instead at all. holding on for as long as they possibly can, even if it is yeah. you know, a, a decade after it was even reasonable to still be there. So to me, this still has a long way to go, and yeah. that is, that's grim. But it does show that the system has to be different. You can't just have the state blindly trusting that whoever is deemed the guardian of an individual is worthy of like taking care of them. There has to be checks and balances. There has to be a system that allows somebody to escape when they are being taken advantage of under these things. So it's no surprise that she's coming out now and saying that she wants the whole thing gone from the system. She's the she's the um, the beacon for the sign that you need to see that the, the this conservatorship idea not getting executed very well. It does need to be deleted and changed. For everybody, like there, because just imagine all the people who don't have her influence and wealth who are also stuck in similar situations. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Derek uh, Chauvin, who was the U.S. uh, ex-police officer who has now been sentenced for his murder of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis last May. Indeed, he was given a sentence of twenty-two years and six months. 
And uh, the, the judge in sentencing said this was based on his abuse of a position of trust and authority and also the particular cruelty shown yeah. to Mr. Floyd yeah. in which uh, he knelt on his neck for nine minutes. James, oh, there was a mix of emotions after the sentence because many people were saying, okay, great, that is you know, mm-hmm. some sort of justice, whereas other people were saying, are you kidding, 22 years is nowhere near enough. Well, I believe the minimum sentence for what he ended up getting convicted with was like 15 years and the maximum's 40. Yep, yep. And on good behavior, I think he might actually be able to get out at 15 years. So like, it feels a bit shy of what's right, but he also... He's going to be uh, registered as a predatory offender. He's not going to have firearms ever again. So there are these elements that even if he's out of jail after some time or out of prison after some time, he won't be able to have the freedoms to abuse. He won't be able to be put in a position of power again. Yeah, You would hope, like, maybe there are some police systems that take in such a label and that that would trouble me a lot. Um, so... There's a lot of conflict for people because a lot of people think that um, prison and jails, the, the only point is punishment and the only point is to get back at the person and to make sure that they get, they, they get their, their, what they deserve right there and then. But that's not how this works. Um, it's about rehab. For me, it's about rehab primarily. Uh, it sure, take him off the streets so they can't be a danger. I am glad he's going to be gone for so long because clearly... He's a danger. This isn't the first, this isn't the only thing he's getting, he's on trial for right now. So this dude needs to be far gone from a lot of people for a long time. Um, and then when he is allowed back into society, I am glad he's not going to have any power over people. But I can see the conflict for people who think that the purpose of jails is punishment and the purpose of jails uh, yep. is is not like rehab, but it is just justice. And that that is vital and valuable. But honestly, there, there, there isn't enough years if it was for justice. There isn't enough years of a human life to make up for it. So there has to be a balance. So to give my personal view here, because as many of you will know, my best friend's partner was murdered by his brother and uh, he was sentenced to 20 years. Right. Which for murdering his own brother, Cameron, who I'd met and was a great guy, was nowhere near enough what I believed he should have got because I'm personally connected to the situation. I wanted to see him locked up for the rest of his life. Yeah. But I I appreciate that's not how the justice system works. We have to give people a chance to essentially see the error of their ways that killing people is bad and therefore they can be a better person. And I do, I have met people who have killed someone Mm -hmm. and have turned their life around. You know, that that is true. Yeah. So... If I can take my own personal stake out of it, then if you're going by the law of the land, 22 years, whilst perhaps shy of what you'd have liked to have got, is probably the best you could have expected considering all the circumstances. Is that fair? No, it is absolutely fair. And I'm not saying that, hey, I'm, I'm, everybody needs to let go of their personal stake. I think that's impossible to do. Right, right. Um, which is why we can understand the conflict and understand the disappointment. Um, but there is the balance to it and it has to be something that uh, comes down to enough time to feel like by the end of it there is a there is the maximum chance that they are a new person that they aren't the same person that did the 
whatever it was that got them put in jail in the first place, that they are completely renewed, reformed. And it's just a shame that prison systems worldwide are really bad at reforming people. I think 22 years would sound like a very long time if jails and prisons had a good reputation of actually reforming people. Okay, uh, let's let's leave that behind. I'm going to talk about one uh, slightly lighter story before we go back to the heavy stuff. This is the Tour de France. Tour de France. Uh, well, in fact, no, sc- scrap that. If I was going to be honest, it would be the Tour, the, the tour de France. Mm. So Tour de France it is. The big bike race. The big bike race with lots of uh, Europeans. Police are searching for the fan who caused a massive pileup on the first day Huge. of the uh, this year's tour. So if you've seen the footage, it's gone viral on uh, on Twitter and certainly on YouTube as well. A woman with a sign that says "Allez, Omi Opi," which is a mix of uh, French and German, which says like "Come on, Gran and Granddad," leans into the road yeah. with this giant cardboard sign. And takes out Tony Martin, who's one of the the leading cyclists. Oof. He goes down, and then everyone, everyone. goes down. You're, you're looking at maybe 50, 60 riders. It was huge, yeah, massive. And the the worst part is that the amount of injuries that this crash caused led to at least three riders pulling out of the competition, including one of the the favourites. And the, the the other injuries, you know, we're looking at uh, collarbones, knees, yeah. uh, ankles, all sorts of... Because, you know, they're moving at quite the speed, like 30 miles an hour. So, in the wake of this... It doesn't take a lot of speed to get hurt. Oh, absolutely. In the wake of this, the police have now launched a search for this fan who has legged it, has apparently fled the country. Disappeared into the forest. <laughs> and uh, the, the Daily Mail said she's untraceable. So, James, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the footage. It is horrendous. And uh, I can only imagine what that fan would be going through having realised the utter carnage oh, she caused. The panic, the sheer panic oh, that they must be my. feeling as they just like try to dodge being recognised by every single person in the world who has seen this video. <laughs> and her family, I guess. Yep. Um, sh- there's no way that they are not going to be found. This is like government level stuff. This the the amount of the amount of people who are interested in this. Now I think the kind of manhunt feel that's been going on is a bit overblown. I I I, I think worse things happen in the world and people just disappear and nobody cares. It's just this is a very public thing that happened and they disappeared and now the whole world cares and is trying to investigate and trying to go and join in this manhunt feels a bit blown out of proportion i am very much as the whole internet is an absolute an absolute fan of the fact that she's wearing a red and white striped top mirroring wally as everybody searches for her but overall she's she's panicking she's gonna get sued she's gonna lose everything if she gets discovered i don't know if there's gonna be anything worse than a lawsuit um, I I do feel real bad for her. Oh yeah, it was a really really stupid thing to do. I I think it does bring into question the the how like how on earth you hold these races safely. And that that goes for bike races, well, car races, all kinds of races that go through such a huge amount of space. Is there a way to make this more safe for the riders? I don't think so. So so just to give you the context, I am a big Tour de France fan. I've watched it for years because I used to be into the whole time trial cycling, even though I sucked at it. Yeah. And, uh, and for years and years and years, it was very, very rare that you would have any sort of spectator cyclist interaction like this because the spectators were largely respectful. Mm-hmm. They understood you don't get in the way. So when you see something like this, it just does bring it into stark 
contrast. Yeah. I would imagine that perhaps they'll have some stricter guidelines and maybe the threat of penalties. I mean, the fact that they are threatening to sue this woman for the ending mm-hmm. of the race of n- at least three individuals, maybe more by the time uh, this is published. Oh, and a whole bunch of equipment damage, I'm sure. My my final question before we move on is, if you recognised that woman, or if you knew who it was, if you knew that, for example, your sister was flying out to the Tour de France to, to wish right, yeah. Granny and Grandad, who I'm sure have seen the message, by the way. Uh-huh. If you were if you were that person, you knew who it was, would you tell the authorities? <laughs> no. Why not? I would not I would not tell anybody if I knew who it was. <laughs> They're gonna get found and I'm not gonna be the one who gets them found. I would <laughs> encourage them to to call into wherever they need to call to say hey it was me and if they didn't want to say hey it was me I would encourage them even more to say hey it was me and I just have that that conversation however many times it took until either they got found before they said it or they said it but I'm not going to be doing the call that's taken away a lot of agency from a lot of people making things unnecessarily uh, stressful for a lot of people so well well, let's hope she dodges the law for for the rest of her life well no i don't think she should dodge the law for the rest of her life i think she should call up and say hey it was me right so hey if you're if you're one of her many many fans of the podcast and you're listening to this right now we're talking about you (laughs) hey call uh, call them up call up uh, the chief of france and say hey hey chief it was me i'm in germany she will become the protagonist of every single heist movie ever who ends the film with i've got to look over my shoulder for the rest of my life i've got i've i've, <laughs> yeah, she I've always got to be looking in the rearview mirror they they will make there will be somebody will make a low budget comedy film about this and how she evaded the police for no, the no, no. following weeks. No way is this low budget. This is hundred percent Kristen Wig <laughs> in a in a comedy in a couple of years' time and in, in which it follows the antics of her doing this. You get the whole yeah. crash, you get the horrified moment of realization, yeah. and then you get the rest of the stories her on the run. Hundred percent this is happening. She'll fall in love with the chief of France as she's uh, on the run. He'll be trying to find her and he'll uh, he actually will but he won't recognize her and they'll fall in love and yep. he'll join her as she just tours the country um, innocently. You know, I'm confident this podcast will be going long enough that we do see production yeah. start on this movie. I am absolutely convinced we will see this in our lifetime. And the film's name will just be whatever was in the cardboard sign. Ali, Omiopi. That'll be the film, yeah. Exactly. There we go. Two years time. Come at me. Or or they can steal the uh, some of the line from Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, and just shorten it to what it should have been, Carnage. Carnage. Okay, well, in sad post-edit news, the French police have now arrested her. So this entire segment and this entire theoretical discussion is now worthless, but a good story. Anyway, let's uh, move on and do a, a classic seesaw parade handbrake turn into uh, some more serious matters. And let's talk about the ongoing situation with the discovery of unidentified child remains at residential schools in Canada. So the total number of children found is now reaching into the hundreds. So let me uh, give you some more context here. A few weeks ago, a former school was uh, was being, I want to say, renovated, perhaps just destroyed, dismantled, and unmarked graves were found on the grounds of the school, mm-hmm. which turned out to be from uh, Native Canadians who had been there several hundred, well, a couple hundred years earlier. This week, they have found more. 
And initially, it was the uh, the 215 number, but now it's actually going up. A Saskatchewan uh, leader of this uh, Native Canadian uh, tribe expects it to be up to 600. So, James, this is uh, yes. this is grim. This is really grim stuff. And the the find seems to be linked to uh, the practices that went on in the country, which were clearly either unknown or kept quiet by the people who were either... Well, yeah. What, killing children? Or just burying these children on unmarked graves and not telling anyone? Well, yeah, so there's confirmed the double causes of these mass graves, which is oftentimes just literally people killing kids, very deliberately, um, but most of the time um, also just having no good care for the children, yeah, yeah. letting diseases run rampant, having bad living conditions, and of course that leads to excess death. And, and it's awful. And it's just yet another massive reminder of the many, many crimes um, by church and government um, worldwide. And I'm, I'm like, these are specific to Canada, but it's just basically anywhere that was colonized by the white people and westernized, I'm putting that in quotes, by the white people, that followed up with endless amounts of killings, and endless amounts of stripping people off their dignity and pride and stripping people off uh, their culture. And hey, that happened here. You go back a couple of um, generations and we've got Scottish culture getting stamped out. Maybe not quite as violently at that point, but it happened here. We can touch. We can. We've got a little touchstone, and it hurts to think about the pain of our own people, and then amplifying that to the degree that it occurred here, where you've got mass unmarked graves, such a huge amount of uh, a lack of a care and disrespect in the following, and it's just all ignored by government. I would say approved by government. They're pretending that they just didn't know about it, but hey, you don't lose track of that many people without noticing and then just going, hey, that's all right. And it's just disgusting. And I don't know how you make up for that. I don't know how anybody does. This is a tremendous amount of apology and investment needed in any community worldwide, especially right now thinking about these communities in Canada who were so poorly treated for generations and generations. So a a body that was set up to look into this confirmed it was something like 3,200 children who had who they'd confirmed to have died in these residential schools. However, in some cases, the children were buried and the, the families were just not told. And I'm unsure whether these unidentified remains are, are even included in that 3,200. So in the wake of this, we have seen four Catholic churches in Canada over the last week be burned down. Uh, and this has been in relation to the fact that many of these schools were run by the Catholic Church. Now, whilst you would never condone arson, mm-hmm. and this is far from the ideal way of dealing with all the hurt and the trauma that this has brought up, it clearly is one way that the community is dealing with this. And it's it's demonstrating their, their yeah. understandable anger. Well, and there's no valid outlet for that anger because it was the church and the state, all the institutions of justice that let the people down. And when all of those institutions are the problem, what on earth is what on earth is there left to do but 
be outraged and be uh, actively outraged. So it makes complete sense that there, that there are these um, churches being burned down in response to all of this news. Uh, I hope that other things can be done instead to 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 get rid of all of the pain and to e- express it in a healthier way um with like recovery in mind rather than any sort of like continuation of these cycles um but it is not the responsibility of the community for this 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 goes on government head this goes on church like they need to be the ones that come up with the plans or or pay the price of rebuilding um from all of the things that they've that they have torn down yep. through the years of abuses. Okay, let's uh, move on to Florida. The death toll of the building collapse uh, from last Tuesday is uh, now at 12, with 149 people still missing. So search and rescue efforts have continued. Yeah. Uh, they're now on their uh, a week on from that after this complex, this uh, condominium, collapsed. It, by the looks of things, out of the blue. It, it seemed to have been a, a little bit of a, a stormy day, but this entire building pancaked, and it's emerged in the last few days that engineers had expressed concerns about the safety, the structural safety of the building in 2018. And in April of this year, the uh, the president of the Condominium Association warned residents that the concrete damage identified in this same report had got significantly worse and urged them to pay some $15 million in the assessments needed to make repairs. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a horrendous story. And as I I said to you earlier, the fact that we're on, at the moment, 149 missing a week on is is horrendous. The the final death toll, once they, they do get through all the wreckage, is going to be astronomical. And the stories of all these families and people will be uh, beyond the ability to to deal with particularly for the people in florida yeah i mean we can't we cannot really feel that pain of that sudden huge amount of loss until you've experienced it and i hope to never experience it and it's just yet more failures by institutions and this will continue to happen until there is a care for the public and i really hope the public starts demanding to be cared about Um, because oftentimes you see people just wanting less control and less regulation and less this and that. And it just leads to companies and the rich doing things like this, neglecting things that are key to people's existence. And then we end up with mass amounts of deaths. And it is awful and tragic. And I do not know how, what it must feel like for everybody who has been impacted by it. Okay, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. He's had his law license suspended in New York for making demonstrably false and misleading claims yes. about the 2020 election. So if you need a reminder, mm-hmm. Mr. Giuliani was on Mr. Trump's uh, crack team. Oh, yeah. Maybe crack cocaine team who uh, were out to prove that uh, Mr. Donald had lost the election via fraud. Mm-hmm. And uh, of, of course, he still refused to admit losing. And uh, he'd gone to court to overturn the results. Mr. Giuliani was front and centre of that uh, that effort. And last week, uh, yes, Giuliani had his law licence revoked and uh, Trump has uh, gone, on, gone on to defend him, called him uh, a great American patriot. But this, yeah. James, uh, seems to be at least 
at the start of some sort of pushback to what we saw people say about the US election last year. There's an element of it that this is a little bit of pushback, yeah, but it's just a relief to know that this guy will not be able to represent scummy people anymore. At least, it, I don't know if there's, if he can appeal it or not, but my goodness, it turns out lawyers can't lie. Who knew? I'm not surprised he lost his license. He was completely incompetent he couldn't we could even even from over here across an ocean and with barely any legal knowledge you could tell that he was crossing lines that cannot be crossed by a lawyer right just just a a brief question about the insight into this because giuliani if you recall was the new york mayor yeah during 9-11 and uh, he'd, he actually take he took over in 1994 and his, for his response to it response absolutely was hailed as this is how you deal with a a, a generation-defining crisis. So yes. what on earth happened after that? Well, to speculate, I would guess that, you know, money and being in circles with, like, scummy people with big money and all of the habits and practices that you might take up when you do that led to degradation of character and possibly also mind, and you end up with the, the blob that now exists. Is that it? That's it. He just degraded okay. due to bad amounts of money and bad bad kinds of connections. Okay. He might like who knows. He might also literally be mentally unwell, and that would be a shame. It's a shame for anybody. Indeed. Okay. Well, let's uh, finish up this news roundup before we move on to uh, what we've been watching by uh, finishing on the uh, news that John McAfee, who was the creator of the antivirus software McAfee, that we all know very very well as the annoying pop-up every time you buy a new laptop yeah. has been found dead in a barcelona prison cell just hours after the uh, spanish courts agreed to send him back to the u.s to face tax evasion charges yes so the uh, the, the justice department in uh, catalonia said that medics had tried to resuscitate the 75 year old but were unsuccessful adding that everything indicated he took his own life so yes James, John McAfee, and because I've, again, a stake in the the sphere of technology slash cryptocurrency, which he did he start did to like get into. He cryptos, indeed, yeah. John McAfee was a very controversial figure. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. death and the way that uh, it's happened, to me, is just the biggest uh, red flag for people who like digging into the world of conspiracy theories and QAnon, who will see this as, oh, no. John McAfee, he's just the latest in a long line of people who have been silenced uh, by the powers that be. Indeed. When in reality, my take on this is that Mr. McAfee, similarly to what you said about Mr. Giuliani, has had a series of issues over the years. Wow, yeah. Someone who was clearly dealing with a lot, had clearly gone through a lot, but also being the the, the creator of what arguably the world's most famous antivirus software. Yes, had yes. got had got him into certain situations and uh, facing the Indeed, um, and he chose to also get himself into other ones. Well, it, precisely. And facing these uh, US tax evasion charges, I believe that uh, yeah, unable to speculate on the reasons why but certainly the outcome is just more fuel to the fire of people who like to spread misinformation and speculate on uh, on yeah gi- gibberish and pieces from all over the internet and attempt to come out with some sort of logical reason yes although his fan base was possibly quite a lot smaller than 
um, he might have seemed. That's true. Remember, he's, he's, he had two two attempts to run for president on the Libertarian Party and was generally very unsuccessful in both. Um, but his story, uh, his life story in general, his dealings with governments of this and that country and mostly in shady ways will will be another thing that is absolutely going to have, and in this case, a definitely high-budget film and several documentaries and all sorts of things. The more you learn about this man and the things he did, um, and mostly the things he claimed to have done as well, um, the more interesting he gets in a sort of like, this is kind of sad right. and like... Uh, incredible in the at the same time uh, way, and, and so we're, we'll see a lot more about him um, even after he's after he's uh, dead, because there will be many many a piece of media um, produced around the life of this of this guy. I don't think he ever thought he would he would end his own life. I think he thought he would get killed by this that or the next person. He did actually get a tattoo which said, "If I die, I've been whacked." Or something similar. Yeah. Because, of course, normal people get those tattoos. Okay, James, let's talk about what we've been watching as we bring the show to a close. Okay. Uh, I've I've got a, a Star Wars movie, which I saw for the very first time. What do you have? Wow. I, I finished the anime. Oh, really? That is a surprise. I did. Okay, I'm going to... How about that? I'm going to... Indeed, I'm going to tell you about Revenge of the Sith, which is the 2005 uh, Star Wars movie. It's episode three in the whole saga. Yes. So as the as a brief recap, the original three, which were then later canonized as episode four, five, and six, mm-hmm. were then, uh, they went back to this uh, franchise in the early 2000s to shoot one, two, and three. And so yes. we have uh, been watching these. Really well planned. Definitely no plot holes. Of course not. It was planned all along. So my my thought is, episode three, I felt, was the strongest of the three new ones. And when I say new ones, I mean the 2000s. Right. That being said, it is still not particularly good. Yes. It has, it has elements, which mm-hmm. are good. I think Ewan McGregor is actually a good actor <laughs> he stands out he does stand out yeah and he, and he grows into the role as the, the movies go on yes however someone who does not is Hayden Christensen who absolutely spoilers becomes Darth Vader <gasps> uh, but he's he's a very very young Darth Vader well you see Darth Vader's first very very first moments of existence indeed you do so spoiler in terms of as you say uh, the the prequel of films which existed uh, 20 plus years previous there are a lot of plot holes a lot of unanswered yeah. questions a lot of very very bad uh, almost like so bad it's funny exchanges of dialogue the dialogue is the big weakness i would say i have the higher ground <laughs> Anakin, which like wasn't like like he, he had the low ground against Darth Maul in uh, the first film. Um, so anyway, that besides, <laughs> I thought the CGI is impressive for the for the time it came out. Like that, the, the number of scenes that are full CG for the time was ambitious. Oh yeah, and I, th- and I think it works. It does hold up today. That being said, would I ever go back and watch it again? Absolutely not. So we we march onwards yeah. with our Star Wars rewatch. I, I would I would love to see the film, but done written by somebody who isn't George Lucas. 
Okay. Which is with his guidance, because he's very good at world building, but not somebody else needs to do the dialogue. With fewer yes men around to say yes to the bad ideas, but also with less CGI, because there was an unnecessary amount of it. They needed to do more in-person, actual acting with actual sets and props and all of those things. I wouldn't actually change much about the story. I think the plot holes and weaknesses are really fun because it allows for all of the spin-off TV shows to try and fill in the gaps here and there, and I love all those shows so far. So, hey, I would just change the way they made this film, um, but not the actual content very much. Okay, what about you? you? You said you finished an anime. What was it, and how was it? I finished Megalobox. Hey, okay. Which was the season two of a, of a show that we've talked about before twice because it was so good that I talked about it before it was done. Um, and I, I still love it. It delivered. Um, if It's a, it's a very much a character-based show on, like, that's hidden behind a guise of, of boxing. And season two kind of takes that and multiplies it because the boxing is even further in the background. A lot of the fights are very much not even on screen half the time. They're just happening as character stuff is going on while the key and very important fight you you just visit every now and then for a for a little exchange. Um, but this season of the show spoke to so many really important things about just people and masculinity and grief. Okay. That I was amazed. Now, it was a bit rushed because there was only 13 episodes, 20-ish minutes each. So they, they did get through a lot of story in a hurry to cover all of these topics. But they did it justice. And they didn't just like phone it in for season two and make something hyper-westernized to try and mass sell to the audience. I expect a lot of people could watch this show and watch season two and be disappointed because it doesn't really focus on the fighting enough and the fighting doesn't get the front stage anymore. Um, but it really talked very very eloquently and very well on how we're supposed to cope with grief both in the sense of like supposed to in quotes with like bravado and this masculine i don't care about things kind of thing or like i'm going to focus on work and stuff like that but also supposed to in it showed us how to actually cope with grief as well um and it showed how to cope with breaking down of relationships and forgiveness with like several characters all going through different versions of forgiving someone for a broken down relationship. Um, it talked about the responsibilities that we have in life. Um, the main character choosing to fight for different reasons. Sometimes the choices are good and sometimes the choices are, are a reason to escape rather than a reason to do something good. Um, his protege taking on fights when he didn't need to at all just because he needed to make money. Or uh, one of the other main characters taking on fights out of a sort of a guilt or a thankful place where he's being a wee bit manipulated, maybe. And th th there's so much depth to so many of the characters. And some of them only get like three or four episodes. And you love every single one of them. And they're also well fleshed out. I could talk about this show for a long, long time. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of stop okay. the fanboying there. And I'm going to end with the design is classic. It is inspired by real good anime. Um, the movements are all smooth and well-earned. The punches have, like, impact. Uh, and the soundtrack is incredible. And the soundtrack for both 
or on Spotify. So go check them out. Hey, also on Spotify is uh, Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh, yeah. As in all the songs that he, he sang in it. Have you seen that yet? Still didn't watch it. Oh, you got to watch it, man. It's so good. And I keep listening to the album on Spotify. Okay, dear listener, if you have reviewed anything, as uh, some of you have promised to do, I'm talking films, TV shows, a book, a meal, whatever it is, a stage play, something fun you did. You can send us that review. Seesawparade at gmail.com. Audio or written form. Both are good. And it would be great to have yet more voices yes, more. on the podcast. Indeed. Okay, James, we're going to finish up with the Euro 2020. hey And a very brief recap of what happened over the last week. A super spreader event it is. Indeed, the super spreader event, which is now spreading into the final eight teams. <laughs> Scotland, sadly, are out. They lost in... Uh, I think we still might win the whole thing, though. Uh, there's always a chance. We might get reinstated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we lost in, in standard Scotland fashion 3-1 to Croatia, despite clawing yes, it back we, to 1-1. We did score a goal, though. We did score a goal. I was glad we yeah. did, because otherwise it would have been a a deeply unsuccessful tournament. We'd scored a goal, so well done. It still was. <laughs> that is true. We did miss a lot of chances. Yeah. Could have won that game. Didn't. But it's that's the same for most of the games. Squandering chances. Big Brain Jim called it. You did. Uh, to me, before we talk about England and the other stuff, to me, the criticism after Scotland exited was all aimed at the manager, which I felt was unfair because... Uh, in part. No, no, no. I would say unfair because in both the Czech and the Croatia games which we both lost, Yes, we had the chances to win. Indeed. And we Indeed. did not take them. Indeed. So therefore, that's down to the players. And down to the manager, he picked yes, the team. Yes, but who's, who selects the players? Right, but he picked, I would say, largely the teams that most people would have picked, with maybe a couple of exceptions. People were supportive of most of them, yeah. It, there was a few questions, and I don't think many of the changes people were calling for would have ended up with more goals. We lack people in general yes. who can who can shoot the ball accurately. And that was the problem identified very yes. early, which was we do have a decent team apart from up front where our best option on the bench is a striker from Hibs. Yeah. And if that's your option, then you know, you're playing against people whose best players on the bench play for Inter Milan and uh, Chelsea. But maybe maybe out with the people who were called up, there are star strikers that were overlooked that never would have even been able to be a okay. sub on the bench to call on because they weren't called on by the manager and all of his supporting cast of decision makers. But yes, this I think mostly the people who need to have questions asked of them isn't even the players. It's the SFA <laughs> who continue to prove that they are not developing talent in Scotland True. via whatever problems the sport has here, which is mostly, I think, due to just a lack of investment, a lack of encouragement, and a lack of care. Do you know what it also is? And I compare this to, to Wales, who have actually gone out, but they did qualify for the last 16. They, they, they did well. They progressed in their group. They did good. The difference is, if you look at the Welsh team, other than Gareth Bale, who is one of the world's most expensive football players, mm -hmm. and uh, Aaron Ramsey, who plays for Juventus in Italy, mm -hmm. their team is very ordinary. They play for Swansea yeah. and Cardiff yeah. and all these kind of middle-of-the-road teams. However, they play really good stuff. They beat Turkey comfortably. They played well against Italy to an extent. And uh, against Denmark, if they had taken their chances, it may have been a very different game. The difference for me 
is that despite Scotland on paper having a better squad than Wales, Wales believe they can win because they've done it before. There is that element. They've qualified, they've got through the group stages, and so they know within themselves, we've got this. All we have to do is play to our strengths, and we've got this. Whereas in Scotland, particularly with this team, I feel we're lacking any sort of self-confidence because we're like, oh, we've never done this before. Oh, what if it goes wrong? And we crumble. Yeah, and maybe this is like the start of a little bit of confidence. We've made it to a group stage. We we didn't do awfully. We, we probably right, should right. have done a lot better in a lot of ways, but we didn't do terribly. And maybe with like the new faces on the squad, since this is a a lot of the players are playing there for their first time internationally at the in the big events. This will be a little bit of a stepping stone for them. They can they can have this foundation there to build from for future for future tournaments. But it was very telling that immediately after we went out, we're looking just the people of Scotland in general looking to our next few games that were guaranteed, and we're going like, oh man, I think we can maybe beat Moldova. It's like the fact that we're thinking we can maybe beat them. I think there's a general lack of confidence nationally. (laughs) Yeah, so one final point, and it's about England. There was uh, a few other big results uh, in the tournament. France went out at the hands of Switzerland, which was a very entertaining game. Well done to the Swiss for, for finally doing well in a tournament shows that you know any country can do it even if you've been mediocre for the last for your entire existence. England, however... We can do it too. They, talking of mediocre teams... They beat Germany yes. for the first time in 55 years in international football. And despite the fact so a long stint. that this was only a last 16 game, you'd have been forgiven for thinking that England had won the entire tournament. The, the coverage, there was a lot of celebration. The post-match coverage was hyperbolic, to say the least. And the BBC News coverage yes. after the game... Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. The BBC News at 10... After the Ukraine-Sweden game, the first four stories were about the football, were about England. And then it was like, okay, here's our third story. It's about people watching the football. Yeah. And he just thought, guys, this is a last 16 game. It is not the final. Yeah, Come on. but that kind of patriotism is... Is, that's what and, they, and this is why people don't want England to do well. That, you know, that's why people who don't want England to do well don't want them to do well. But what that's like 10% of the population, that doesn't matter. They're trying to build up this patriotism. They're trying to keep the cult of England going. They're trying to keep it a religion <laughs> rather than a, an interest. But they've always had it. It's always been like that since, you know, 96. That's what I'm saying. They're trying to keep it alive. They're trying to keep it alive. They have to do this. Otherwise, they might lose the religion aspect of the game. And then people might start thinking about other things a bit more critically. Oh man! I mean, this is a game. This is they're playing the people of England, and it's working. And there was disgusting celebrations going on. People, people like generally just lambasting German supporters as Nazis and stuff like that. It was awful, well, shameful. They also they also booed the German anthem. Indeed, yeah, it's disgusting. Ah, uh, Brexit voting English people. Yeah, imagine voting Brexit. <laughs> imagine who would vote for that. Okay, on that note, let's uh, end the show. Seesaw Parade is here every week or so. And you can indeed follow us on Twitter and follow us on Spotify as well. You'll get a notification every time a new episode is posted. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you if you have anything you would like to add to the show, anything you disagree with, or even just a good story. 
you can let us know. Ceaseoperate at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay, James, thank you. It has been a pleasure as always. Yeah. No. And uh, I'll see you next week. Indeed it has. Yeah. Uh, one thing I learned from Megalobox Season 2 is that an ending doesn't need to be exactly what the fans expect. And it can leave a lot of questions and a bit of etherealness. Okay. And, uh, y- you know, you can let people mull on it for a while and not tell them all the answers to, to things. So I'm kind of like wondering how we could aim for that in each episode of the podcast. Well, I know how, I know how I'm going to do this. I know how I'm going to end this show. All right, you you yeah. talked about leaving them with questions, Absolutely. leaving them waiting for more. Right, so you, you're going to, yeah. Here we go. Okay, thank you. I'm about to, are you ready for this? This is how I'm, this is how I'm ending the show. I'm, I'm just, I embraced. On Monday, I threw up 14 times. Goodbye. <laughs>